Welcome to the Extreme Stewardship Podcast, where we explore anything and everything that gets us better at making things good and good at making things better. I started this podcast with a series of reflections on work, what it is, why we do it, and how we get better at it. In one episode, I spent some time reflecting on how a theology of work informs a theology of leadership. In that episode, I was just trying to lay the foundation for the topic, so now in the next few episodes, I want to explore that topic a little further. Having laid the foundation, it's time to build the house. Probably not the whole house, but hopefully enough that someone can drive by and think, oh, okay, I can, I can see how that house is going to come together, even if it isn't move-in ready. If you haven't looked at that foundation, it's episode 11 of this podcast. Here's the short version. If God is the creator and we are the creatures, if God is the owner and we are the stewards, then questions about leadership and influence and that sort of thing have to be framed in terms of appropriate outcomes. I mean, thinking biblically about leadership starts with thinking about whatever we are supposed to lead people towards. If someone becomes more whatever because of my influence, because of my leadership, it's going to matter an awful lot whether that, whatever they are becoming, is the sort of thing the creator, the owner, would want them to become. So what does the owner intend for his stewards to become? He intends for them to become ever-improving improvers of creation. He intends for them to get better at making things good and good at making things better. So leadership, the right kind of leadership is going to have something to do with influencing other stewards to do that. I am a leader when someone else, on account of my influence, has gotten better at making things good and good at making things better. The beginning of Genesis puts one more piece into play in terms of how this is going to happen. You might notice that in the Bible there are references to God leading us, and there are also references to us leading each other. And there's this thing that happens a lot in theology called analogical language that's going to be helpful here. Analogical language happens when you use the same word in slightly different ways. God is my father, and David Kibbe is my father. The word father is being used analogically. Some of the things that might be implied by the word father are true in both instances, and some are not. In both instances, the word implies something about having authority over me, something about being prior to me, something about providing for me. That's the area of overlap. But David is my father in the biological sense, and God is not. And God is my father in the ultimate sense, the perfect and flawless sense, and David is not. So if you draw two partially overlapping circles, you'll see words like provider in the middle overlapping space, and in only one circle, words like biological, and in only the other circle, words like perfect. That's how analogical language works. So here's the analogy that comes into play here. God leads, and we lead. And there's some overlap between the two circles. In some ways, our leadership is like God's leadership. But there's only partial overlap, which means in other ways, our leadership is not like God's leadership. And the difference isn't only moral, God's a perfect leader and I'm not. It's also embedded within the simple reality that we are creatures and he is the creator. We are the stewards and he is the owner. And the element of this that I think is highlighted in Genesis 1-3 through 3 
is that in the process of influencing stewards to become better stewards, God never lets his stewards out of his sight. God never says, okay, I've trained you, now go do your job and I'll be back later to check on your work. Or, well, I think I've done all I can do, so now go off on your own and good luck to you in your journey. God never says that. But as human leaders, that's precisely what we have to say and do at certain times, in part because the person that I am leading is not the sum total of my stewardship, and in part because I am finite and couldn't have complete awareness of someone else's activities anyway. And, in part, even though this especially comes into play after sin enters the picture, because there will inevitably come a time when those whom I influence will move on without me. Whatever my stewardship it is absolutely certain that I will leave, quit, get fired, retire, or die. And others will continue that work without me. No matter which way you slice it, my influence is limited because I am limited. Limited by being a creature, limited by being a sinner, limited by being mortal. Even in Genesis 1 and 2, before sin comes on the scene, this is how human leadership is going to work. Adam and Eve are told to rule creation and have kids so they can rule creation. They are told to start that process in a garden, but the whole point is that the garden will grow and grow and grow on account of there being more stewards. And therefore more space is both necessary and manageable. And even if sin and death had never taken over, there would still have come a point at which Adam and Eve's descendants would exercise their stewardship out of sight and out of mind of their parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. And so, if leadership is influencing others toward ever-improving improvement of creation, if leadership is something like doing the work of getting the next generation ready to do the work, we have to admit from the get-go that leadership includes relinquishing control. It includes admitting that we are stewards, not owners. It includes acting like the world is, at some point, going to move on without us. In my earlier episode on leadership, I mentioned Simon Sinek's notion of an infinite game, and it's worth repeating that here because it's so fundamental to what I'm saying. A finite game, according to Sinek, has a beginning and an end, a winner and a loser. And the goal of playing the game is to win the game. When the clock runs out and the buzzer sounds, I walk off the court victorious. The game has ended and I keep going. That's a finite game. An infinite game has no end, no winner, no loser. And the goal of playing the game is to stay in the game. Cynic's main point is that business works like this far more often than we realize. No business has as its goal the complete elimination of the competition and complete saturation of the market such that there is no more demand for a product because every single person alive already has the fullest possession possible of that product. That's what winning looks like if business is a finite game. But it's not a finite game because the goal of being in business is to stay in business to grow, to expand, to improve, sure, but most importantly, to remain in the game. But therein lies the problem. It's not as though the game is infinite and we are infinite along with it. That comes later. Check out episode 14 of this podcast. For the moment, we are not infinite. The game keeps going, but we don't. We are the finite part of the equation. 
We walk off the court even though the buzzer hasn't sounded yet. We leave, quit, get fired, retire, or die. And so our leadership of others, our work of getting others ready to do the work, starts with the recognition that we are getting them ready to do the work without us. That is a humbling thought. My university, God willing, is going to outlast me. My children will outlast me. My students, my subordinates, my friends will do the work of improving creation long after I have exited the stage. It's probably typical of my age, typical of my stage of professional and family life, but I'm thinking about this more now than I ever have. I'm 42 years old. Halfway there, perhaps. Or maybe I get T-boned on the drive home this afternoon. Or maybe I get cancer in my 60s. Or maybe I hit triple digits. Doesn't matter, really, because the point is not only that the work goes on without me, but also that I don't know and don't ultimately control when that is going to happen. And that is humbling because it yanks a lot of things out of my hands, out of my control. So maybe this is the right time to suggest that the fundamental character trait of a leader, biblically speaking, is humility. And in the next episode, I'll try to say a little bit more about that. Thanks for listening to the Extreme Stewardship Podcast. My name is Michael Kibbe, and I teach Bible and theology at Great Northern University in Spokane, Washington. My behind-the-scenes partner in this project is my brother, Ben Kibbe. Our editor-in-chief is Annalee Stockton. Art comes from Leah Leenhouts, and of course, music is provided by Dave Murray of Derridoon Guitars. If this series has been helpful or challenging to you, or if you've got a story about extreme stewardship that you'd be willing to share, shoot us an email, extremestewards at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You are, of course, welcome to like and subscribe and tell your friends and all that. What we really care about is that you have gotten better at making things good and good at making things better.